At the height of the space race, while all eyes were turned towards the moon, the USA and USSR were embroiled in another race. A race in the opposite direction. A race to the centre of the Earth. Both countries embarked on very expensive projects to try and drill through the Earth's crust. The US began their Project Mohal in 1961, but they gave up after managing to drill only 183 metres into the crust, after they realised how expensive it would be. But the USSR didn't stop drilling. Their Kola Super Deep Borehole project began in May 1970, and the drilling continued on and off for 25 years. It took over 13 years of active drilling for the Kola borehole to become the deepest in the world. And in 1995, the project was stopped after the borehole's depths reached down 12.2 kilometers into the Earth's crust. At that depth, the rock became too strong and temperatures too high for their drilling equipment. And so they decided continuing was unfeasible. The site on the border of Russia and Finland is now abandoned but still sometimes attracts curious visitors. But now, nearly 30 years since drilling at the Kola Superdeep Borehole ended, a new company in the US believes that with new drilling technology, they can drill well past the 12-kilometer record. And they can do it in a matter of months rather than decades. And they have a compelling reason for trying. By drilling these superdeep holes, they plan to unlock terawatts of clean, renewable energy. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Owen. In this episode, we're exploring how a new drilling method could help us gain access to geothermal energy anywhere in the world. Geothermal energy is fundamentally heat mining. There is a tremendous amount of thermal energy in the form of heat stored in the rock in the Earth's subsurface. It's on the order of 10 to 31 joules, which if I remember right, that is a hundred million trillion trillion joules. <laughs> a better way to put it in perspective is it is somewhere around a hundred million times the world's annual energy consumption. Matt Howd is the co-founder of Quay's Energy and he explains utilizing geothermal energy is nothing new. The Romans used natural hot springs as a form of heating. But more modern tapping into geothermal energy uh, in terms of especially electric power production dates back to the turn of the 20th century. Uh, I believe the first plant was built in Italy, Lottereo. And so it's a, a fairly mature uh, energy source, similar to wind energy, of course, dating back centuries, in that we've been using geothermal energy for electric power for over 100 years. As of today, where you find economic spots to tap into geothermal energy, it's constrained to a, a few unique locations, namely areas where there's typically volcanic activity 
or areas where you have a very high geothermal gradient because the Earth's crust is actually stretching or thinning in those areas. In 2019, geothermal power generated 15.4 gigawatts of energy. However, it isn't an option for most countries around the world. The places that currently get geothermal energy generally don't drill more than 120 metres into the crust. But at Quay's Energy, they believe if they can drill as deep as 20 kilometres into the Earth's surface, almost double the current record, every country in the world would be able to access clean geothermal energy. This form of geothermal energy is called Enhanced Geothermal Systems, or EGS. So EGS actually basically proposes that you do not need to find these unique locations whereby you're able to find these naturally occurring convecting geothermal reservoirs. You can actually just go anywhere where you have hot rock under the ground. So as you drill deeper anywhere on Earth, it's going to get hotter or higher in temperature. There's a natural geothermal gradient that increases with depth and it varies by location. Finding that heat in the subsurface and actually creating your reservoir through different stimulation or fracturing techniques that open up the flow paths you need for water to flow through that rock uh, sort of in this circulating closed loop to basically go down in the subsurface, heat back up, and be produced at the surface for electric power generation. But this process does come with problems. Creating an EGS reservoir, creating the fractures where you were able to flow water through that hot rock in the subsurface. The, the key risk here for EGS, and this is similar to what they've encountered for fracking for oil and gas is the risk of producing induced seismicity. So in particular, if you are disturbing the pore pressure or the pressure of fluids that are down in the rock, in particular, increasing that pressure, you run the risk of activating nearby natural faults to actually slip and cause a small earthquake. But unlike fracking, it doesn't leave the water underground, which can increase pressure buildup. By being able to drill deep, we're able to drill in locations that aren't as seismically active. We can avoid locations with these sort of critically stressed faults that are prone to seismicity and earthquakes. And importantly, always having a mitigation plan in place to avoid scenarios where you are building up the pressures needed to generate an earthquake. And they believe a new drilling technique developed by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology could provide them with the capability to drill deeper than ever before. The idea for this new method of drilling started back in 2008 at MIT, when senior fusion energy researcher Paul Wozkov saw a request for new proposals from the MIT Energy Initiative. Well, there was a, a request for proposals from a, the MIT Energy Initiative that had listed technologies that need to be developed for sustainable energy, the, uh, the whole spectrum of uh, energy, solar, wind, whatever. And under geothermal, the number one need was an advancement in drilling. 
And Paul's idea was to use a piece of technology he had been using for decades in his fusion energy research called a gyrotron. Okay, well, it's a little bit like, like a laser, but operating at a, a very, uh, a much longer wavelength. Lasers operate in the optical to infrared and gyrotrons run in a very high frequency microwave range, what we call millimeter wave range. It operates uh, by sending a high voltage electron beam through a resonance cavity that's inside a high field magnet. And uh, the electrons then uh, gyrate around the magnetic field lines at the resonance frequency for electron psychotron emission. And, and that's how it gets its name, gyrotron, because electrons gyrate around the uh, electric field, uh, magnetic field lines and produce uh, millimeter emission. And uh, the process is very efficient, about more than 50% of energy can be converted into the millimeter wave beam. So they're much more efficient than uh, a typical laser. The wavelength of that electromagnetic radiation is determined by the strength of this magnetic field. So with gyrotrons, it is generating electromagnetic radiation that's on the order of 1 to 10 millimeters or 30 to 300 gigahertz. So it's often called the millimeter wavelength range. So gyrotrons are basically a machine surrounded by a very strong magnetic field. Electrons are fired down it, becoming highly charged and very powerful. Uh, it's actually a similar physical phenomena to how you're heating food in your microwave oven today. While the physics of a gyrotron is somewhat complicated, Paul Wozkoff's application was simple. Point the powerful beam of electrons at some rock and watch it vaporise. There's a video of Paul doing just that in his MIT lab. We've linked to it in the show notes if you'd like to see the gyrotron at work. I took a, uh, a gyrotron that we had in the lab for uh, uh, heating plasmas, a, a small power one, and, uh, and set up an experiment where I uh, irradiated granite blocks and basalt rocks, and I melted them quite easily, and, and I made holes in them. And with only a few kilowatts of power, was able to make 45, 50 millimeter diameter holes uh, in a block that's about 35 millimeters thick with only a few kilowatts. So that showed it could be done. I didn't vaporize them at that point. I just melted them uh, sufficiently that the melted rock just flowed out, uh, flowed out of the uh, rock. Uh, we had a, a blast of air with with the beam that forced the melt up out of the rock, and then when we punched a hole, a little hole through it, the the melt flowed down out of the rock. While it is possible to use a gyrotron to melt rock, for this to work, it has to be scaled up massively so it can vaporize the strong rock that even the most powerful conventional drills can't get through. But ultimately, in order to extract the rock material, we need to vaporize it so that we can blow it out as smoke. And uh, uh, and that's the, the extraction mode that we're looking at now. Melting rock in a lab is not the same as vaporizing a rock 20 kilometers below the Earth's surface. 
but it is an important step in proving the technology. And there's an important reason why you need to drill so deep. The economics of geothermal power production improve almost exponentially as you increase the temperature you are producing. Because by increasing the temperature of that fluid, you're increasing the sort of energy density or power density that you can produce at a geothermal well. So the sort of equation here for calculating power production goes, it depends on how fast that fluid is flowing out of the well or the flow rate, as well as the enthalpy, uh, which is related to the temperature and phase state of the fluid, in this case water, that we're producing at the surface. So by increasing temperature, you're increasing the power density of the well. And there's an actual step change that happens when the fluid gets to become supercritical. Supercritical. Uh, This is a state whereby there's little differentiation between whether water is a liquid or a gas. Supercritical water occurs at a temperature of around 374 degrees Celsius and a pressure of 22 megapascals, which is about 300, PSI. Studies have taken place in Iceland, where geothermal energy already accounts for over 70% of the total energy used. The studies found that by reaching that temperature and pressure, it can produce 35 megawatts of electrical energy. That's as much as 10 times the output of conventional geothermal wells. But most places aren't like Iceland geologically, and to reach those temperatures, you have to go much deeper. If you wanted to tap into these temperatures throughout the western US, you would have to get up to 10 kilometers or about six miles. And if you really want to do this sort of supercritical EGS anywhere throughout the continental US, you're talking about drilling depths ranging 10 to 20 kilometers. So it's very deep. The millimetre wave drilling technology has a long way to go before it is proven capable of drilling at those depths. But Quay's Energy has already come up with a plan for how the drill system will work. Yes, it it looks similar to how a, a drilling operation works today. So we have our drill pipe stands or joints, if you want to call them, that are sort of the individual pieces of waveguide, measure probably something on the order of anywhere from 2 to 10 metres. We basically put together that drill string, lower it down to the required depth we want it to give a certain standoff distance between the waveguide and the borehole bottom or the rock surface. A purge gas will also be injected into the hole simultaneously to remove the rock as it's being vaporised. And as the hole is deepening, we're continuing to lower that bottom hole assembly or our drill pipe, if you want to call it that, lowering our drill pipe down the hole. Once we've sort of lowered it over the length of that new drill pipe section, say 10 meters, we would want to pause there and actually install a new piece of waveguide so that we can continue to go deeper. The aim is for drilling to take place at a rate of 10 kilometers every 100 days, or around a millimeter a second. We believe when you can drill at those rates, you can access these super hot temperatures and complete the well, the wells needed in an economic fashion. So importantly, I think with the drilling process, it's not only drilling fast, but because 
you don't require all this non-productive time in replacing downhole components, you're actually, your drilling costs are increasing linear rather than exponential. So that the drilling process doesn't get more expensive as we're going deeper. But there's still a lot of work to be done before they are vaporizing rock 15 kilometers below the surface. One challenge that remains is getting a gyrotron that is powerful enough to have a fast drilling rate while also drilling a wide enough borehole. In order to make a big enough hole on the order of eight inches, which is a typical borehole size, you need uh, one to two megawatts at least to have a a good drilling uh, rate. The rate at which we can extract rock depends on the power density we can to bring to bear on the rock. So if we want to go faster drill rates or larger boreholes, we have to combine multiple beams. Now, it, that uh, is not really uh, an impossible thing to do. You know, at the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor in Carthage, France, and they're building a 24 megawatt gyrotron power plant to heat that plasma. So they have 24 tubes they're putting together, 24 megawatts. But the challenge of combining 24 gyrotron tubes into an 8-inch diameter borehole is not one that's been solved yet. And there are still some unknowns about how the gyrotrons will perform that deep underground. The, The engineering between the output of the gyrotron tube and the uh, target in the borehole, that transmission section needs um, a a bit more development to work at atmospheric and high-pressure environment. Or it needs to be, uh, I guess, refined, because we know how to make transmission lines, uh, efficient transmission lines. They work very well under vacuum, and and the... the, uh, Analytical basis shows that they can work very well for tens of kilometer distances. But under the influence of high pressure and high intense electric fields, we, we need to engineer and show that they will work in those kind of environments. But before they get to testing out multiple powerful gyrotrons at a pressure of 30 psi, tens of kilometers below the surface, there's still a lot of testing to be done on the gyrotron's vaporizing ability at a much smaller scale. Paul Wozkoff's research has shown at low energy levels, a gyrotron can melt a few inches of rock. Now testing has taken place to see how much energy will be needed to fully vaporize the rock. The limitation they had in that experiment was that they had a lower power system that wasn't able to generate the required energy to actually fully vaporize this rock and so that largely incentivized a second test campaign that's currently in progress to actually demonstrate drilling or vaporizing these holes that are on the order of one to three feet deep in the lab Uh, so all with lab-based equipment there's two experimental campaigns going on related to that one of which is at oak ridge national laboratory and the second is in Quasar's engineering facility in Houston, Texas. Well, we've advanced from uh, a 10 kilowatt gyrotron source I've had to a 100 plus kilowatt source at Oak Ridge. So we're trying to, 
to uh, achieve deeper and bigger holes in the lab. And then uh, we will uh, advance from the lab into the field with uh, 100 plus kilowatt sources to deep holes, uh, you know, drill holes that are deeper on the order of a kilometer. So right now we're still in the laboratory trying to advance beyond the laboratory experiments we did at MIT. There still remains a lot of testing to be done, but Quay's Energy are confident that by 2028 they will achieve their goal of retrofitting a power plant to be producing clean geothermal energy. There is a wealth of existing power generation infrastructure that is already installed on the grid that we know needs to decarbonize if we want to really accomplish our goals in the energy transition to mitigate against climate change. These plants don't really see a way out to operate economically. There's not a readily available fuel to replace coal in particular. So many coal plants in the next 10 to 20 years are scheduled to be shut down. Around half the cost of accessing geothermal energy comes from building geothermal power plants. But by repurposing already existing power plants, existing infrastructure doesn't go to waste and enhanced geothermal systems become more economically viable. So it's a win-win for both us on the geothermal side and for the power plant operators that exist there today. What's important about going to super hot temperatures is now you're actually producing close to the temperatures of the steam those plants are generating today to run through their turbines. You're just basically proposing to replace their coal supply, um, their sort of fuel costs for burning the coal, with a geothermal well field. And Matt says the energy output will be able to match the existing output of coal plants and can even be scaled up to higher energy output levels. When it comes to our geothermal well field, it's actually a bit of a modular solution because we can meet that power requirement depending on how many wells we drill. So one sort of number we've kind of justified through modeling is that if we can produce uh, 50 megawatts of electrical power with three wells, which would be one injection well plus two production wells, then we would need, say, 12 of those wells to power a 200 megawatt coal plant today. And what only limits us is what is the available land to develop this well field. While we may still be many years away from accessing enhanced geothermal energy anywhere in the world, there are locations that could be accessing EGS at much lower depths in only a few years' time. If the tests taking place can prove the efficacy of millimetre wave drilling, there is a huge potential of geothermal energy to be one of the largest clean energy sources in the world. Well, I, I think geothermal is not taken seriously as a major potential energy resource because people look at it through the current available mechanical drilling technology, which cannot really go very deep or very high. So they dismiss uh, geothermal energy from the uh, discussions of a major contributor. But if you advance beyond the limit of mechanical technology and go uh, over six miles underground, six to 12 mile region, you can get heat that is just as hot 
as what a fossil fuel plant produces to run a generator. It would be a one-to-one -one replacement with clean energy. The only limitation is getting to those steps. And we hope we could make a game-changing breakthrough with directed energy drilling. I think what's important is that if we're tapping into geothermal energy at a sort of global scale that we need for civilization to repower our civilization without fossil fuels, there is such an, a massive amount of heat stored in the subsurface that if we were to tap 0.1% of that heat, that's basically enough energy to power our current annual demand for several million years. While the odds might be long right now, the potential for worldwide access to clean energy gives Quay's Energy the belief that trying to drill down to depths of 20 kilometers is a risk worth taking. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Johnny Dowling, hosted by me, Alex Conacher, co-hosting by Rian Owen, editing and series supervision by John Young, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, and our own mass of gyrating electrons is Rory Harris. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. 